the invasion of Canaan is quite explicit. There's no doubt about it. The, the nations were encouraged, the, the nation of Israel was encouraged to take this land and to possess it as their own. And the language for the invasion is quite uncompromising. They were to enter the land. They were to destroy the fortifications. They were to score a decisive victory over the people of Canaan. Now, this, of course, is, uh, is challenging because um, it does give us a sense as Christians that there's something uh, not quite right about the instructions for taking the land of Canaan. Well, it is a matter of uh, international relations that nations sometimes have to use force against each other. Uh, in this country, where we stood alone in the Second World War against the most awful fascist tyranny, uh, a war that came perhaps closest to being a just war, uh, we understand that there comes a point at which force and war it becomes necessary. And we need to understand that this explicit command of the Lord to take Canaan uh, is in fact, and this is my second point, it is an exceptional occurrence in the military history of Israel. In the book of Deuteronomy from which we read in chapter 20, uh, you would be able to find the rules that were to characterize Israel when they went to war. For their time, and this is John Lennox's uh, writing I'm quoting from, they were remarkably humanitarian. For instance, men were excused military duty if they had just become engaged, bought a house, planted a vineyard, or even if they were just fearful of the consequences of war. In addition, war was only justifiable as a last resort. And in the first instance, the army was encouraged to sue for peace wherever possible. And when they did go to war, it was noteworthy that women and children were to be spared, and the army was not uh, to be engaged in the wanton destruction of the trees and of the nature, the natural uh, life of the country. Lord Jonathan Sachs, the chief rabbi of the United Hebrew Congregations of the Commonwealth, points out that the books of Leviticus and Deuteronomy contain the world's first environmental legislation. So we are not to think of the nation of Israel as a bloodthirsty, warlike nation that, that got, went into war just on the merest pretext. The rules of war in the Old Testament were pretty precise and prohibited the wanton destruction of life and of property. But in this case, it appears to have been exceptional and the nation were told to go into the land and not to spare it, but to take it and to drive out the Canaanites completely. And this, I think, is uh, what we find a little difficult. Now, it is interesting that some scholars of the Hebrew Bible who have studied this have come to the conclusion that we can overread the language of these passages. So, for example, the repeated phrases about utterly destroying and sparing nothing actually in its time meant to score a decisive victory. Clearly, when you read through the book of Joshua, 
and the later parts of the Old Testament, it is clear that not all the Canaanites were annihilated because there were still plenty of them in the land. It was that in this war, the Israelites had to score a decisive victory rather than to eliminate every last Canaanite that they came across. And while that may offer only modest comfort to those who are worried about this, I think if you think back, for example, to the military campaigns of the Second World War and to the latter part of the war where the Allies scored a decisive victory over the Axis forces in Europe, they had to use the most desperate force to do that. It was not that they set out to destroy every inhabitant of Germany, but they did use air power and land power in a decisively destructive way in order to bring the war to an end. I suppose you might even see that in the decision of the American President Truman in August 1945 to use two atomic weapons to bring the war in Japan to an end. And although these were horrific moments and the death toll was dreadful, it was not nearly as much as it would have been had the Americans and their allies had to mount a land invasion of Japan. So militarists understand this. They understand that if you are faced with the ultimate disaster of war, then what you must do is you must use decisive force to bring it to an end as quickly as possible. And there is, I suggest to you, a degree of morality in that. When we worry about the numbers of the Canaanites that were killed when the uh, uh, Israelites invaded the land, I sometimes think more people would have been killed in 15 minutes of an Allied air raid over Germany in the mid-1940s. And, and while as a nation we still have a slightly uneasy conscience about what happened then, we understand that this was necessary and this had to be done. So let me just recap on that. The instruction of the Lord to invade Canaan was certainly explicit. And in terms of uh, the conduct of that campaign, it was indeed exceptional. But the third point I'd want to make is that it was an example. It was exemplary in the sense that it was a message not only to the Canaanites, but to the other nations around them, that there is a limit to God's tolerance of their pagan and evil practices. And he will, in his time, step in and in a very real sense, make an example of a nation so that other nations, and this is what happened, other nations around the land of Canaan became fearful of the Israelites for they realized that the way in which the Canaanites had been dealt with was something that could happen to them. And in that sense, it was a voice to the nation. I suppose that in our world, we understand this. When the United Nations decides to act or to invade, or when the Allies took decisive action in the Second World War, there's always a lesson to other nations that if we go down the path of wickedness, if we break and violate the normal norms of human behavior, then there are likely to be a, there's likely to be a price that is paid. And that is what happens in the land of Canaan. So as we reflect on that, the explicit nature of God, this is a matter of judgment. The exceptional nature, 
this is an exceptional moment when the normal rules of war are to some extent suspended and a decisive victory has to be scored over Canaan and an example to, nature, to nations in the future that God will deal with them in his own way and in his own time. When I think about the Second World War, I think a lot about it because I was born in April 1945. I was actually born on the 12th of April, the day that President Roosevelt um, died. The two events were unconnected, of course. But I think because I was born in that era and then grew up in the era of prosperity that followed it, the remarkable recovery between the 1940s and the 1950s, which has given me and my generation and many of you the kind of life that we have enjoyed. I think I have been kind of fascinated by what happened uh, in that period. And uh, when uh, Truman's advisors brought to him the news of what had happened at Hiroshima and Nagasaki, he said something like, this is the greatest thing in history. Well, I'm sure he came to revise that view downwards, but there was a sense of relief that at last they could see an end to this terrible war and that they could turn uh, their ingenuity to better and more positive things. And so when I reflect on the invasion of Canaan, I think about the way in which the modern world, certainly in Europe, has been born. And out of the devastation of war, we have come into a good and plentiful land for which we ought to be thankful. And maybe I could just uh, draw this to a conclusion by thinking just for a moment or two about the reality of invasion. The invasion of Britain is something that we might think about. This country hasn't been invaded in a thousand years. In 1588, the Spanish Armada set sail, actually, on July the 10th, 1588. And it was sent by the King of Spain to invade England, to replace Elizabeth I, to restore the Catholic monarchy and reverse the emerging reformation of the church. It failed, and the Armada was destroyed by force of arms and by a major fierce storm in the English Channel, which blew it off course. And many reforming churchmen thank God for that deliverance. And as I've been saying, nearer to our own time, many people in this country felt that way in 1940, when the evacuation of the British Expeditionary Force from Dunkirk and the stunning battle of the, the st stunning victory of the RAF in the ensuing Battle of Britain prevented a Nazi invasion and subjugation of these islands. What Churchill foresaw in that would have been the end of Christian civilization. And here we are in a country to whom God has been good, not least in blessing us for centuries with Christian renewal, freedom, democracy, a passion for social justice and the rule of law. And we need to ask ourselves, will it always be so? The tragic history of Israel is that pioneering their way into the land of Canaan that God had promised and setting up a theocracy as he intended they frequently fell short of it. Indeed, sadly, within a relatively short period of time, they turned to the same kind of idolatrous worship that the Canaanites were guilty of. Clearly, with COVID and Brexit, we are currently in a time of political unrest and significant uncertainty. 
It may be a time of great opportunity for this country, but it may prove to be nothing more than a transient or minor ripple in our national life, signifying not very much at all. We may want to consider whether, in another sense, we are killing our children intellectually and spiritually. It is not unreasonable to suggest that the educational policies of both Westminster and the Scottish parliaments involve the effective brainwashing of our children and youth in a wide range of secular dogmas, including atheistic speculations about the origin of life and the universe and diminishing the fabric of the traditional family. These initiatives pose serious challenges to Christian revelation and teaching. And if the Bible is to, believed, to be believed, particularly in passages like this, will not pass without consequences. I am sometimes haunted by some words I heard some years ago in a message from the great American evangelist Billy Graham. Speaking about the morality of America, and this would have been back in the 60s or 70s, he said, if God does not judge America, he will have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. Now, we cannot know in advance what God is doing in our nation and will yet do. But what we do know is that we need Christians with the confident faith of Joshua and an unshakable belief in God's sovereignty over all things. When we trust him and live in faith as a witness to the power of the gospel of Christ, there are no walls or barriers in our lives, communities and nation which will not crumble before the onward and confident march of his church here and in the world. In the New Testament, the taking of Canaan is likened to the spiritual parable, the, sp the spiritual uh, picture of inheriting all that God has given us, the spiritual highlands brought to us in Christ, and to enter into them as Christians, living out our faith to the full. Thank you for listening, and I do trust this message, with its solemn undertones, will be both a blessing and a challenge to us. Amen. Thank you, Alistair, for addressing such a, an important um, but difficult topic. We really appreciate it. Let's close in prayer before we sing our final hymn, Only a Holy God. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, you are good, you are kind, you are holy, and you are just. And Lord, you have, an, have a magnificent cosmic plan for this universe. Thank you for giving us the freedom to explore these difficult questions and for giving us an increased confidence in your word and your character tonight, Lord. Thank you, Father, that you hate evil. And one day, it's going to be eradicated once and for all. Lord, we long for that day. Thank you that, that you desire it far more than we do. We praise you, Father, in our Savior's name. Amen.